0: Hello and welcome to St Tom's Online. Please find our latest sermon. Hello and good morning, or afternoon or evening. Tis I, Ethan Heseldon, with this morning's sermon, titled Epiphany Number no. 4. Not to be confused with Beethoven's Symphony No. 4, uh, perhaps one of very few of Beethoven's symphonies that did not appear at some point in Looney Tunes, Charlie Brown or The Muppet Show. But seeing as this is completely unrelated, I'll move on. Although, speaking of disappointments, I was slightly when I saw what I was down to speak on. Not that I have anything against Epiphany number 4, a very good epiphany in and of itself, but I just prefer to speak on something of my own choosing. However, I went back and I read Mark one twenty-one to 21-28, multiple times, and my disappointment soon turned to excitement. You see, when I read the Bible, and maybe some of you are like this too, it takes me a few reads, uh, a few times round before it really all goes in. So the first time round tends to be a skim read. Oh, very nice. Jesus preaching in the synagogue. Cool. Um, oh, look there. Cast out a demon. Jolly good. Nice one, Jesus. Good one. Everyone around him is in awe. Yep. Seems about right. Okay. So then I decide to read it again, this time really focusing on the words. Okay, let's read. They went to Capernaum. And yes, I did YouTube how to pronounce Capernaum because i was worried i was going to say it wrong i uh, i was saying cap now um and then the, the youtube comments rather unsurprisingly said that the video was wrong so i'm just going to stick with capernium um, anyway so i've read through it twice now and yeah it's a cool story jesus rebuked and removed a demon nice Well, wait a minute and it always takes my brain a second to comprehend this but the bible is non-fiction it's a documentation of Jesus' life. And I know this sounds like the most obvious comment in the world, but it means Jesus really rebuked and removed the demon. Well, so what does that mean for us? Well, I believe, and feel completely free to disagree, um, but I believe it means an awful lot for us. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world, 1 John four four, being correctly applied in its original context about warning of false prophets or spirits. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me Philippians 4 13 or do you not realize about yourself that Jesus Christ is in you 2 Corinthians 13 5 because the God who said out of darkness light shall shine is the one who shined in our hearts to illuminate the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ but we may have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not out of us 2 Corinthians 4 6 to 7 now Now, these these are scriptures that uh, we are called to believe a god breathed Um, now you might take that as a metaphor or something merely poetic that jesus lives on in us i don't and i also don't ask that you believe this i'm just giving my interpretation but uh, please come along to coffee and catch up for more discussions cheeky little plug there so what am i saying well the fact that our earthly vessels which is an amusing choice of words from paul our bodies contain these treasure this treasure sorry The Spirit, uh, the Holy Spirit, one of the three, the three in one. But I want to go back to Capernaum, back into the synagogue. The first demon in Mark's gospel pops up in a church. A lot of times through his gospel, Mark employs what's become known as the sandwich technique, in which he tells a story within a story. And then each story is a sort of commentary on the other. And there's no different here. He begins and ends on the question of authority and teaching. And in the middle of it, there's this unclean spirit. Jesus enters the synagogue purposefully. Strides is one possible translation. He makes a confident and dramatic entrance into a holy space on a holy day. And you know, this is still early on in Mark's gospel. After exiting the wilderness, Jesus assembles a community. Or he begins to assemble a community. And then he engages with the religious power of the day. The word used is exotion or exotia, and it's a Greek word meaning that he taught with power. Something Jesus has, but the scribes don't. Immediately the scribes are put down, and and by scribes they were sort of lawyers of religious power. But they were put down, their authority aspect. And you can see later on in chapter 3 where Mark directly associates the scribes with temple power. And it seems a little weird because Mark doesn't include the actual content of Jesus' teaching and instead just that whatever it was shocked and amazed those who heard it. But it's the reactions that Mark describes that let us know quite how full of power and authority Jesus' teaching was. So here Jesus is taking authority in the way that he speaks, that exotia. He teaches with power. And then we meet the unclean spirit. Now as I mentioned before, the first even makes an appearance in the holy place. After Jesus' confrontation with Satan, the demonic makes a geographically specific appearance within the precincts of religion. The unclean spirit is found in their synagogue. In the book People of the Lie by Scott Peck, he writes that people of the world recoil from evil whenever they see it directly. This is why evil likes to disguise itself and what better way for evil to disguise itself than to hide under the good. It's not surprising that Jesus would encounter a demon in the church. It's a perfect place for evil to hide. The man with the unclean spirit says, what have you to do with us? It's taunting Jesus, just as we previously saw Satan tempting Jesus in the desert. The demon taunts him. You are merely of Nazareth, the unclean spirit has a very dismissive tone. But it's all a false bravado. It's something that you see everywhere in the world, these sort of power moves, a false authority. People who are so desperate for authority but don't have it, and know that they don't have it, they're extremely dismissive of others. Trying to put others below them in order to rise up rather than naturally rising up through great character and true authority. When Jesus walks into the synagogue, he doesn't start insulting the scribes there. He doesn't walk in and say, alright everyone listen to me, I've got so much better things to say than everyone else. I am Jesus, son of God, you want good word? Don't listen to these guys, they don't know anything. He just talks as himself he doesn't need to belittle anyone else so that he may appear bigger because the belittlement of anyone always ends up belittling the weaker man in the end the majority of people can see through any sort of tough authority fool facade we see people's character and we're naturally pretty good judges of it so this unclean spirit in the synagogue is full of this false bravado and this is made clear from its next line you came here to destroy us hit the nail on There's a last ditch effort to regain control when the unclean spirits start saying, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Because as written by John Petty on the website, Progressive Involvement, knowing and identifying is a way of trying to exert mastery. It's why Moses asked for God's name. If a person knew the name of another entity, they felt they could exert some influence through the use of that name, which is why the Lord God gave Moses a name that we're still trying to figure out. With only one exception, No human being in Mark's Gospel ever gets Jesus' identity right. Mark wants the reader to know the whole story first. You can't know who Jesus is unless you see him as the crucified, which is why the only human statement of Jesus' identity that is allowed to stand uncontested in Mark's Gospel is the statement of the Roman centurion at his death. Truly, this man was God's son. But none of the human beings here know who Jesus is. The demonic possession does. Holy One of God. And yep, he had come to destroy them. So say what you want about the unclean spirit. It correctly discerns a true threat. So then Jesus rebukes the man and says, Be silent and come out with him. The translation comes from the word "femo," which can be translated as to be silent, to muzzle, or shut up. And it's the same word that Jesus uses to calm the storm. There's a violent reaction as the unclean spirit tore the man apart. And again, there's another word used. Is spraxen, which translate to torn apart, mangled, convulsed. The violence at the heart of religious power is exposed, but the power of Jesus is stronger. And Mark makes this clear by saying that the unclean spirit came out of him. Jesus won. And then we get to the second slice of bread, the back end of our sandwich, as Mark continues on the subject of authority and teaching. All were astounded. They have no idea what has just happened and begin to discuss it amongst themselves. What is this? But now they call it a new teaching, one with, you guessed it, authority and power. He commands the unclean spirits and they obey him. And immediately the report of him went everywhere into the whole surrounding area of Galilee. Now if you were going to circulate news in the region of Galilee in the first century, Capernaum would likely have been the best place to do it from. It was the largest town in the region with the biggest harbour. So Jesus is beginning to establish his movement. Making some waves. So, a quick summary authority and power, exotia. Who had it? Well, Jesus had it in abundance, he has it in abundance. But back to what I spoke about near the very beginning of all this who has authority now? Yes, Jesus, still. But during the ascension, when Jesus rose up to heaven, he imparted on us a gift the gift of the Holy Spirit. And being one of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit has that same authority. Now, it's up to your interpretation and belief in what the Bible means when Jesus says that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you in a few days during the ascension. But it's my belief that the Bible is not merely a collection of stories simply there to let us know how great God is. That goes against what we're taught about God. He's not self-serving. I believe it's a great tool so that we can learn how to use our authority, but more importantly to learn that we, as children of God, have authority. And that's what epiphany number four is all about. Authority. I mean, you're probably sick of hearing me say that word by now. Authority, authority, authority. It's important, else it wouldn't be in the Bible. So my hope is that we can take this into our lives. Speak over those worries or nagging doubts in the back of our head that we're not good enough. Or that this isn't going to work out. This isn't going to be any good. We can take our authority. Fimo. Be silent. Shut up. Today is the final day of January 2021, we're a month into this new year, let's make it a good year, let's use our authority this year, let's take control of our lives and start making the most of them, even in dire situations, that's when we should be taking authority the most, so let's do it, together, let's use our authority.